Turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We've been working through this uh, passage and speaking about creating Christian culture. And tongue-in-cheek, that is the church. Christian culture is the church. Not that we can't leave a different live a different culture, uh, live that same culture in our life every day. And that is what I want you to do, is to understand the two should not be separated, that the two indeed are the same thing. And uh, too often today we try to, to, to bifurcate our lives. We do our religious life on Sunday. We do our Monday through Friday life and our work life. But the two should not be different for the Christian. So in creating Christian culture... And the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians being about uh, the church and what the culture should look like in the church, what you're going to recognize is that it is also what the, what the church should be in the culture, that we should be salt and light, that we should be, as we learned in Sunday school this morning, we should be leaven that leavens the whole lump. And it is what you will see because what I've done is begin this chapter and show you some of the obvious points of what it means to be a Christian. And we're going to kind of twist that again today and look at that momentarily. But what I want to do is do a kind of a 30,000-foot view of the rest up to verse 16. So as we do that, what I want you to keep in your minds is that we see a spiritually immature person going from them first stages, which is what we're witnessing here this morning uh, in the baptism is a person just coming into the life of the church and into Christian culture, but that person never stays the same. That's the beauty of what God is doing. And Skyler's going to be blowing me raspberries back there this morning. I love it. God will mature us. God grows us. And if you look, and what I simply want you to see, that as the church is called to go from Spiritually, spiritual immaturity to spiritual maturity. I want you to see that that's what's missing in our culture today because we need to be living that out in our everyday lives, day in and day out, as mature Christians, as mature Christians ready to love the world for what it is because that's where they're at and to give them the gospel of peace. So let's read this passage this morning and then we'll begin. Beginning in verse 1, we're going to read clear through through verse 16. Again, this is so not my, smi- my style, uh, but we're going, to, we're going to do this because I want you to see this as a whole this morning and see how it works encapsulated together like this. Beginning in verse 1. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you, walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Again, that's our walk. That's our life. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, that's next week, guys. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he has also descended into the lower regions, the earth? Who, 
He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be like children, tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine and by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. He, Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come this morning, I just pray your Holy Spirit's working in this place, your grace to fall on the ears of the hearers here this morning that are gathered. We come to feed from your word. And Father, we, we see a time in our, our nation and uh, you know in the, in the town in which we live, the community in which we live, uh, the state, the nation, where we need spiritual teaching and spiritual maturity. And Father, we, we, we discern and live in a time when the church needs to mature and grow up. So I pray as we go through this this morning, we get this kind of overview, and it'll set our jaw to go about the business of being the church here in Pennsville, New Jersey, that we'll glorify you in the ways that you've called us to, that we will do the work that you've called us to, that others will hear the gospel of the Jesus Christ, that there'll be many baptisms, that there'll be many hearts that are changed. Father, do that glorious work in us. Go above my simple words this morning. Use your spirit to speak directly to the hearts of your people. I pray these things in the name of our Lord. In his name we pray. Amen. Okay, it begins with regeneration. Regeneration. And then as we're regenerated, we'll see the second part of this is we're reconstituted. And then we're reinstituted. And then we're rewarded. Regenerated, reconstituted, reinstituted, rewarded. Four simple points for a five-point sermon. <laughs> but it begins with our regeneration, and that's what we celebrate in baptism, is somebody's heart's been changed. Turn with me, if you will, this morning to the book of Titus. Just a few books over, you'll see Thessalonians, Timothy, and then Titus. Titus chapter 3, because Paul's telling us to walk in a way worthy in which we've been called. And then he's talking about us being humbled. And that humility, as we've talked about as we began this passage of Scripture, uh, chapter 4, that humility comes from us understanding who we are before God. It becomes from us understanding that we are in need of God, that we can't know who God is until he tells us who he is through changing of our heart. And that has to come in the preaching and the proclamation of the gospel. So as we turn to chapter 3 of the book of Titus, I hope you have it there. Let's begin, let's go back to verse 1, and we're going to read through verse 5 or 6 here. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, Paul's writing to the church, and to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, 
Verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. That's kind of the Christian life, isn't it? That we're peaceful people, that we love others, that we show courtesy towards others, even to the point of turning the other cheek. Paul's talking about the atmosphere in the church, but it grows, our atmosphere in the church grows to our daily lives outside the church. And the point of it is that he's trying to make here begins in verse 3, that that's not our natural state. We're mean people, right? We want to get even. We want to get, make it right. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, right? Uh, but an eye for an eye will leave eventually the whole world blind. That has to stop somewhere. And as Christians, we understand that because we are the people that have been humbled by God. It begins there in verse 3 as you see it. For we ourselves were once foolish. So what Paul's going to do here, he's just going to turn them around and remind them who they once were so that they can love others and be patient with others and be humble with others, right? And be long-suffering. For we ourselves were once foolish. We were sinners. We were once foolish. Why does it use the word foolish? Because if you understood who God was, listen to me. God created everything that exists. All the heavens, all the earth. And I don't know about you, but I started out in engineering my life. I was director of engineering for a little company. And I fascinated myself with building things. And one time I went to the Smithsonian, finally, out here in D.C. My kids drug me there because of that movie, Night of the Museum 2, right? What I quickly realized was I would look at things and different things that were created and invented, patented, and I would look at them and go, I could make those, no problem. You know, because a guy that can make anything kind of gets a big head about himself. Not that I was like that. But I enjoyed that part of my life, and I still enjoy it. But I would look at something and go, I could make that. But then you get in and you see that little plate, you know, where they describe what it is and when it was made. And you look and it was made in 1872? Yeah, I couldn't have made it with the technology they had in 1872. Right? God created everything, beloved. Even the things we don't know about. His power, he is power. He's not a more powerful version of us. He's not a more perfect version of us. He's not a more loving version of us. He is God. He is the perfect version of all of his attributes and power and creative power and the world without end. Amen, right? He is God. There's a reason that noun has a definition. He's all-powerful, all-knowing, and everywhere present. So the reason he says you were once foolish is because you stood at enmity with this God. And God is going to crush all sin and evil. That's why it's foolish. Because you stood opposed to this God before you heard the gospel and were saved. And you were proud of it, beloved. That's our testimony. We're those people that have been changed in that way. He says, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, and here it is, led astray. Here's the hope in the gospel. I may just stay here right here in Titus the whole time. Here's the hope of the gospel is that the God of this world blinds our minds. Let me tell you how difficult this blindness is. When we go to Planned Parenthood on Saturday in Philadelphia, and we stand there, 
And I've had people say, you know, yeah, you can speak to me. You can ask me one question if you let me punch you in the nose. I've had people spit on me. I've had people curse me. And the group that goes, God bless them. If you want to go to the edge of hell and evil, go stand on that corner across from where they murder 16 babies a day. The God of this world has blinded those people just as he had me blinded to believe that this evil is a good thing. That's how blinding the God of this world is. He'll make you think you're the most important thing. He'll make you think what you want is good. But it's death. So the foolishness and the blindness have a basis. The foolishness is you stand opposed to the God who created you. And the blindness is that you're following the one that wants to see you suffer. Satan himself. So that's where we start. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures. Boy, that's me. It describes me to a T and every sinner I know. We were passing our, ma- our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But, verse 4, when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. And it was not because we were Mr. Goody Two-Shoes or Mrs. Goody Two-Shoes. It's not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. According to his own mercy and grace, we heard the gospel that we were these wretched sinners and that we were stand, we stand judged before God, that we stand and ready for punishment of our sin, but that he sent his son Jesus to die on the cross. Beloved, this is the gospel. This is the hope of the nations. This is why we need to mature as a church because let me tell you, I don't know what you're thinking about outside of religion and God and Christ this morning, but it's secondary compared to your eternal life and your eternal living. He sent his son to die. And to suffer every sin that we committed, he paid for it on the cross of Calvary so that we could have life, so that we could have this mercy, so that we could be unblinded and see the rich goodness of the God of heaven who created us. And once we do that, and my brother will testify to this this morning, once we do that, life totally changes. Life totally changes. So it says, verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Oh, I invite you to Christ today. Listen, if you've never come to the gospel and repented of your sins, you need to understand where you stand before God, and you need to turn from that sin and, 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 and trust Jesus Christ as your Lord. It's not because of works done by us and right. You can't be good enough, but according to God's mercy, and it's by the washing, the regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, it's the work of the Spirit in us that changes our heart, that unblinds our eyes, that unveils our face. You know, at one time, I, the reason I, I, I have so much difficulty when I go to Philly and stand there and I, I literally preach open air on the street is because I know that my eyes were just as blind as the eyes I'm preaching to. And one day God awoke me from that slumber and I saw the beauty of Jesus Christ and repented of my sins. Beloved, that listen, you're, you're being here today is not by mistake. You're hearing the gospel again is not by mistake. God is giving you a chance to repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ as your Lord. That's where it begins. Back to Ephesians. 
That's where we're humble. That's where the gentleness comes in. That's where verse uh, 2 and 3 and 4 come in there, that we uh, we be able to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. We, that's where it begins. That's where spiritual immaturity begins. We, we're just learning the first things of the gospel. God has just changed our hearts, and we want to know more. We have a, just a un, un, unnatural desire to learn more about God whenever we're truly regenerated and our hearts are full of the love of Jesus Christ. And then we have humility and gentleness. We, with patience, bear with one another. And this is specifically inside the church, but I don't know about you, but whenever I learned who Christ was and what God has done for me, I've got a lot more patience and gentleness with those outside of the church as well because I, like Paul says in Titus 3, I remember being blind. And every time I preach, I remember because blindness stands opposed to the word and message of God. And then he reminds us in this, in this state that we're in, this spiritual newness, this being a spiritual baby. And then we don't want to stay in this state. We want to mature, right? That's where we are all headed. He says that um, the unity comes from someplace, right? The, uh, we've been regenerated. We've been reconstituted. Our priorities have changed. We're able to love, to be gentle. We're able to live for Christ. And then we're reinstituted. We become one body. Listen to me. You were just, before you were saved, you may have had a family, an extended family, but that is sort of random if you're outside the church and outside of what God is doing. Because only the church will be saved. Those inside the church become a new family. God brings them together. He's our Heavenly Father. He brings them together in the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what Ephesians 1, 9, and 10 tells us. That that is his will to bring all things together in the Lord Jesus Christ. Things in heaven and things on earth. That is the finality of everything that God is doing. That we will be brought together through the blood of Jesus Christ. So he tells us of this tremendous unity. This reconstitution, if you will, of humanity. As that it is all born in the Trinity. There is one body, verse 4 says. One spirit, just as you were called, and one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. Listen, beloved, it becomes simplistic, really. There's not seven masters you need to follow. There's one master you need to follow, and he's unchanging. Amen? Right? And, and his burden is light, and his yoke is easy. Amen? That's the Jesus that we follow. He's not uh, schismatic. He's not going in several different directions. He's not changing and requiring something new of you. He is not ever changing. He is one Lord, one God. We follow under one baptism, one Holy Spirit, and we become one body through one Father and one God who is in all. Right? And then when we are part of that body, we become rewarded. And that's where I want to spend the balance of our three hours together today. You see, it begins there in verse 7. And this is new ground to us, if you've been with us uh, in Ephesians 4 to this point. And grace was given. Do you see it in verse 7? Grace was given to each one of us. So we're one body. We're reinstituted in one Lord. That is the Trinity. Father, Son, and Spirit perfectly agreeing. But we're not automatons. We're not robots all acting the same. My son loves it when I do this dance. Right? We're each different. 
We're each shaped different. We look different. We have different likes. We're different colors. Some of y'all just plain different. Yeah, I was talking about you, Blake, right? But we, we, we hold on to that uniqueness of who we are, who God made us, yet we're one in the Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus Christ. And what each one of us has is to serve the other. It begins there in verse 7. So grace was given to each one of us, and it's according to Christ's working, because Christ never makes a mistake. He has brought each one. Listen, do you know that you're here today because you have something unique to give to this church? If you've become a member of this church, and this is why membership matters, it's because God puts you here and placed you as a member. We brought Steve into membership as we baptized him here this morning. But there's something that God has gifted Steve with that he's going to bless us with. Do you say that? Yeah, Jesus does. It's grace. It's by grace he brought Steve here. It's by grace. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. That is, in Christ's coming down, he freed us from the devil and he gave us back the ability to do what he had called us to originally do. He gave us back the ability to do what sin has stolen away. And this is why you hear me always say that grace restores nature. Because it's in the gospel that we are becoming who we're supposed to be. We're going back to the Garden of Eden, right? We're becoming Adam and Eve again. We're walking in that direction as we interact and as we look at Christ. Remember we said this last week from 2 Corinthians 3.18. We're being changed from one moment of glory. As we gaze at the life of Christ and the goodness of Christ and the work of Christ, we are literally being changed metamorphosized is the word. We're being changed from one degree of glory to another into Christ. That's what maturity is about. This is why doctrine is so important. If you go to a church that talks about political things, you're not getting the things that grow you and change you. You're not getting that. And Christ won that on our behalf because he crushed. He crushed the head of the serpent. He destroyed death, hell, and the grave. And you are immortal until the day you die, and then you stand in victory. Do we have hope? We have hope. So we're supposed to spend the time down here, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians, just practicing our gifts on one another, loving each other through what God has called us to bring to one another. He won that victory so that we can live in freedom as a church. So when he ascended on high, he gave gifts to men. Now, verse 9 gets a little tricky, and it won't take long to unwind it. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions of the earth? Well, this is simply saying that Christ came down. He came down from heaven. He did what he was called to do. He went back up to heaven. We were talking about this this morning in Sunday school. And by the way, if you're missing the adult Sunday school, you're missing something. Uh, because it's just plain good. Uh, we've, we've had some good studies. It starts at 10 a.m. here in the sanctuary. But if you take the 30,000-foot view, Christ came down out of heaven, born of a virgin. That was Mary, right? Her, his father was Joseph. He grew and was tested and tempted with every sin that we were tested and tempted with. He died on the cross so he could crush death, hell, and the grave, and then he ascended back into heaven. He started his kingdom... And that kingdom won the complete victory that day on the cross. That's why the whole world hinges on that date of the cross. 
And then 50 days later, he ascended to his throne where he sits today as his kingdom here on the earth grows. All right? So he descended to do the work that the Father called him to do, to pay the penalty for our sins. And he ascended to the throne as his kingdom grows. Right? Got that. In saying that, or verse 10, He who descended is the one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. And that's what he's doing. He's filling us. And verse 11 begins with a, just a little bit of a twist on this. How is he filling us? Well, he's maturing us. He doesn't leave us alone. As I said, you began as a spiritual infant the day you were saved, and you begin to grow and mature. How do you grow and mature? Is there a pill you take? Uh, no. Is there a poem you recite? No. Have you thought about this? Where does maturity come from? Yeah, right. You're holding up your Bible. That's exactly where it comes from. So the first gift God gave, we began to read about here in verse 11. And he gave the apostles and prophets. What did the apostles and prophets do? They're just a bunch of old dead guys that were in the Old Testament. That's right. Do you see it? Go back over to 220. Go back over to 220, Ephesians. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. The apostles and the prophets, the prophets writing the Old Testament, the apostles writing the New Testament, have written scripture. Oh, by the way, the living word is Jesus Christ and the written word is life. And he gave the apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and teachers. Why did he give them? Why is that the first gift mentioned here? Because that's where you hear the gospel. That's where you become changed. It's in the gospel that this begins. You don't start maturing spiritually until you hear the gospel and your heart's regenerated and you repent of your sins and turn from them and then get in this word because this word gets into you. It cuts asunder to the joint and the marrow and it grows you. It expands you. It makes you something that you cannot be on your own. All right? That's what God's doing. He's doing that here in the church. He's doing that through faithful pastors and faithful uh, lay, lay persons who preach the gospel all the time. That works begin. Begins there in verse 11. Gave the apostles prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. All of those teaching what the apostles and prophets gave us. Verse 12. Why? Why? To equip who? To equip the saints, beloved. That's you, me. To equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until when? Verse 12 and 13 give the whole story away. Until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That is what the Word of God's doing. It's growing us. It's maturing us. And that's why we preach the Word of God and stand on the Word of God and see the Word of God as authority. That's why the Word of God is so important. And that is what is missing in our society and why we have a society that is so immature. Right? Does that make sense to you guys? Because they're not being spiritually mature. And listen, I would not go so far as to say that there's a lot of churches with the same problem. They're just not maturing because they come in on Sunday and they get the word light and they go home and that's all the interaction they have with the word. But when you're truly re... When your heart's truly been changed, all right, when you're truly redeemed, you're going to have a thirst and a desire for God's word. Listen, this is the central point too as well of everything we're doing in education 
just down the road. Um, our motto at the school is classically um, um, classically training. I got to memorize it, don't I? Classically training, classically training minds to know wisdom, and faithfully forming hearts to worship. Because you cannot train a mind without training a heart to worship. You can fill a child full of knowledge, but you will not have a virtuous child when you're done. And that is what a classical education is. It connects a child to wisdom. I mean, it begins with the simple things that we all learn when we go to school. You begin with grammar and logic and rhetoric. But it grows to so much more because we have to connect the child to everything that's true, good, and beautiful. And you cannot have wisdom until you fear God. That's why we faithfully form hearts to worship because it's at the intersection of training minds and forming hearts that we make a total and a complete human being. That's the center of a classical education, that they're being taught who their Lord is and the beginning of that wisdom being the fear of the Lord. It makes a wise and a virtuous human being and it does not disconnect. Listen to me. Here's where I see the big crossway in what's happened in the last hundred years in our nation. You can't disconnect the one from the other. What we do in public education K through 12 is just as religious as what we do here. I hope you see that. We can transpose knowledge here in the church without opening the heart just as we can in a K through 12. But it's when we open the heart to see who God is that we truly transpose wisdom. And it is in the Word of God we learn of who God is and to fear God and to grow that wisdom. And that's where maturity grows. That's where the mind grows. That's where every part of the human being takes on a different meaning and begins to grow and mature. See, he gave the apostles and prophets, he wrote the scriptures so it could be preached and taught so that it would equip the work, the, the saints for the work of the ministry. And I bid you that raising children is ministry. It's not hands-off. Paul's going to tell us in Ephesians 6 to raise our children and to nurture and the admonition of the Lord. And if parents don't have that as their greatest ministry, I don't know what their ministry might be. You can't disconnect God from education. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Listen to me. That's a long way to go until we reach the measure and stature of the fullness of Christ. That's a high mark. That's a big goal. But it's attainable in Scripture. It's attainable when God, and when God has worked in your heart through the blood of Christ to regenerate your heart so that you can understand His Scripture. You begin to grow. You begin to change. It is an obtainable goal, and one day you will stand glorified in heaven before Christ. Amen. To the measure and the stature and the fullness of Christ. You know, um, Jesus says in, in Luke 6.39 that um, if the blind follow the blind, uh, the both, both of them will go in the ditch. You know, there's a ditch on each side of the road, and the road is narrow that we're supposed to walk. That's what Paul's talking about here is that we walk in a manner worthy of our calling. 
And some of the greatest teachers that ever have been are secular humanists that men follow. They're great teachers, don't get me wrong, but they're just not teaching great truth. And I could give you several. Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, Marx, Foucault, Darwin. They're highly lauded in our society. And you can become as good as them if you learn everything that they've learned. But because they're blind about who God is, you know where you're going to end up? Somebody say it. The ditch, right? You're going to end up in the ditch. Jesus then says in verse 40, he says, a disciple is never above his teacher, but when he's fully trained, he'll be like his teacher. And that kind of completes that, doesn't it? Because it, you could work really hard and be just as good as Charles Darwin about the theory of evolution, but you're going to end up in a ditch because the theory of evolution is directly opposed to God in the Bible. But if your teacher is Jesus Christ, your possibilities are limitless. He's the creator of all the ends of the earth. Everything that was created was created for him and by him. And he holds all things together, it says in Colossians. And everything will glorify him. It is the measure and stature and the fullness of Christ that Paul's speaking of here. Why? Verse 14. Here's the end of the goal. So that we will no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. Man, if that doesn't describe the United States today. <laughs> tossed to and fro, carried about by every doctrine, by human cunning. By craftiness, listen, abortion, that's human cunning and craftiness. But let me tell you, there's something that empowers that human cunning, and it's the devil himself. He's happy when he gets you in the shame of abortion. Human cunning by craftiness and deceitful schemes, all of them are such. Fifteen, rather, speaking the truth in love. Where does the truth come from? He just told us. It was given to us by the apostles and prophets. It's preached to us by the evangelists and shepherds and teachers. It's meant to equip the saints for the work of the body. It's meant to grow us together. We come and be unified under the truth. It stops us from following after the things of this world, and we go hard after the things of Christ. Listen to me. Good doctrine builds love in your heart. Theology builds doxology. That just means that the more truth to know, the more truth you know, the more you can fear God. Because God is seeking who? Those who who worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's who God is seeking. So we're not to run after the things of this world every wind of doctrine and human cunning. But we're to speak the truth in love, and that truth is Scripture. We are to grow, and that love comes from our, uh, the first part of this chapter where we've been changed and able to love one another and be patient with one another. And then what's the effect? You see it in verse 15. We grow up in every way into Christ who is the head of the body. What does a head do? I mean, my fingers automatically can work together. You see that? I don't have to think about that, really. I don't know how that works. I could, Mel could probably explain it. She's pretty medical. You, yeah, right? It's because my head, right? It's up here. This, I can jump with both feet, and they both work at the same time. And that's how we are. As we're connected to the head who is Christ, we can work together and be unified. 
and grow into every way into him. Verse 16, from whom the whole body, listen, the head nourishes the whole body. He joins and holds us together, every joint that's in it. And when that is equipped, when that is trained, and this equipping is not a mistake, it's pulled from verse 12. It's the equipping that the word of God brings to the church and to the lives of children and should be in every classroom today. It's that same equipping when each part is working properly makes the body grow so that that it just builds itself up in love. Do you see the connection here? We're on the outside because we're sinners. We hear the gospel. God changes our heart. We begin to spiritually mature. And we begin to take in the word because we're in a church or in an atmosphere where people are patient and loving and kind and understand what it is that matured them. And they want us to be matured. And as we grow, it comes back together and the whole body grows and nurtures itself and builds it up. And do you see that in verse 16? It just spills over into love. And it just spills over into a multiplying. It spills over into life and goodness and dignity. And everything that is true and good and beautiful begins and springs from the truth of what God has done in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what God is doing in us. That is Christian culture. Don't stop practicing. When you walk out the door, practice even harder. Be the leaven that leavens this world. Be the salt that preserves those rotting. And as you're doing that, you're just bringing more life and more love into this world. It begins with Christ, and it ends with our eyes properly fixed on Christ. And that's why we're going to that verse there early on that says, One Lord, verse 5. There's one Lord. Everything begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Beloved, if you're, you're here today, you'll stand before Christ one day. He will judge you. He is the most loving, kind Savior. He has died so that you can live. But one day he's returning to stamp out all sin. That's the Christ. He wants to teach you, train you, and love you. Let him do that today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, as we come to a close this morning, thank you for the vision that we've seen in this baptism, for the grace that you've given us in Jesus Christ. For the love, for the mercy. My prayer is, Father, that we would take chapter four and begin to really just dig into it over the next few weeks, that we'll see what you've done in bringing us together, that there is no mistake in that, that you've done all of this in advance, that none of it is for, for, for not. It is all part of your plan, what you're doing to bring all things together in Christ, things in heaven, things on earth, that we are part of that, that the church is your body here in this place, that that church goes out of this place into this world and testifies to the goodness and beauty and truth of who you are. Let us be that church, Father. That's my prayer for these people and our work here. We know that this community needs it. We know that this state needs it. 
We know that our nation needs it. Work in the hearts of your people, even and only as you can do today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, Barry, would you and Junior come?